I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Andy J Podcast. Hi there, welcome to the latest episode of the Andy J Podcast. I hope you are in a happy place and life is going well. If it's not, you have my great sympathies. I sincerely hope that the next, however long this pod is going to be, brings a little bit of welcome distraction to your world and cheers you up, gives you a lift and shows you you're not alone because some of the conversations today are quite revealing, very personal, very open and very honest, particularly from uh, Suzanne. I'll explain her in a moment. And I hope that it gives you just that little ray of sunshine and that sort of knowledge that yeah, other people are going through something as well. In fact, if anything, this coronavirus has been a great leveller, hasn't it? It's kind of made us realise that we are all in this together. So let me tell you about today's celebrities. Well, the megastar that is Ronan Keating. Yeah, that was cool. I was delighted when we managed to uh, to land Ronan for the show. Really pleased. What a nice man. What a big star. And of course, he, he does the whole humble thing as well very well. And I guess you kind of would when you've achieved the level of success that he's he's kind of managed. You wouldn't kind of be all, check me out, because you've just, you're living it. You're walking the walk and talking the talk. So Ronan Keating, big star. Likes him a lot. Really, really nice guy. Then, have you seen the film 1917? You know, the multiple Oscar-winning movie. Goodness me, it is absolutely incredible. Famed for its huge opening camera shot, which just takes ages and ages. I mean, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Huge, without cutting, without stopping. It just goes through the trenches and, oh my word, I think it's a masterpiece. I really think it's an incredible piece of filmmaking. It doesn't make you feel good. Don't get me wrong, it's, it's not an uplifting film, but it's a film that you should watch it's revealing and interesting and fascinating and dynamic and incredible. And it has two stars who weren't massive, massive celebrities prior to this show. Film, rather. I'm going to show. How dare I? It's one Oscars, for goodness sake. Anyway, one of those stars, the lead actor, the man who's on screen pretty much every single second of the show. I've done it again. The film excuse me, <laughs> is George McKay. And I must say, George... Now, George is famously private. He doesn't have social media. He doesn't like to talk about personal things. He likes to keep his private life private. And I must say, I thought to myself, well, how am I going to speak to him about anything if he just kind of keeps his private life private? He was a really lovely guy. He was really cool. And, of course, he gets to talk to us about an Oscar-winning movie. Brilliant. So George McKay is another guest on today's show. And then we have the incredible Suzanne Shaw, everyone's favourite from hearsay. I absolutely love Suzanne. I've had the pleasure now of meeting her two or three times. And I just think she's absolutely glorious. I really think she's not only... Has she lived the most incredible life? You know, I mean, plucked out of an audition queue, effectively, when she was a teenager, transformed into this pop star virtually overnight with, you know, a bunch of strangers. And what a story she's had. Anyway, she tells it far better than I do. But that initial rise of, wow, look, look at me, that led to some major challenges, some huge speed bumps and, and issues that were thrown in her way. And she has had a tough old time of it. And my goodness, is she incredible at describing it. What an interview. I was completely captivated. You know sometimes when you're talking to a friend and you're kind of so into the conversation you can't believe where it's going and you almost become a fly on the wall, you know, and you're not actually responsible for how you're reacting because you're so immersed in what they're saying. That was kind of how it felt for me. You know, listening to Suzanne's sort of incredible story, I did feel like a fly on the wall watching and, and consuming this conversation. It really was remarkable. Anyway, look, I've waffled. Apologies. Let's jump in. You're not here for me. You're here for the stars, and they are brilliant. Enjoy. The Andy J Podcast. Well, I'm delighted to welcome my next guest. It's the one and only. Well, let me just tell you, actually, see if you can guess who it is. A man who my wife said 
Oh, well, do you know what? Everybody on the planet fancied him at one stage or another. It's the incredible Ronan <laughs> Keating. How are you doing, Ronan? Oh, Andy, how are you? How's it going? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be chatting to you, Ronan. And my wife literally, just Thank before you. I picked up the phone, she was just like, everyone fancies Ronan. They always have. They always will. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Oh, look, I mean, yeah, very slight one flatter. Thank you. It's kind of awkward, isn't it? But yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, I must say, I've never been likened to you, Ronan, even though whenever there's a karaoke chance, I try and get the pipes going. I just can't match it. I've done my best. Okay. I can't get there. I can't I've tried get... it myself. <laughs> it doesn't work for me either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the bank balance and the, and the fan base would probably differ, Ronan, I'd have thought. You know, they'd probably dis- disagree slightly. You've been kind of smashing it for quite some time, haven't you? Yeah, it's been, it's been a, an amazing run. I'm very lucky. For 27 years now since Boyzone began, and it's, it's, hard, it's hard to believe it's come by so fast. But, yeah, I feel lucky to still be here, still doing it somewhat, you know. Well, somewhat. I mean, Forever Ain't Enough, the new single, sounds absolutely sensational, mate. It's lovely. Oh, thank you. I'm very proud of it. I love it, actually. It's my favourite favorite song off this album. Fourth single, which, I mean, that's something that doesn't happen very often anymore these days. You, you know, you're lucky if you get the three singles on an album. So to get that fourth single out and possibly this talk of even a fifth single on this album um, shows that it's, you know, I'm still, yeah, still getting away with it. And do you know what, Ronan? That's, that's a huge accolade because... The new album is called 2020, and to be honest, yeah. most things called 2020 are pretty cursed right now. So, that's well, lovely. this is it. It would have been awkward if I had to bring this album out next year, you know, 2021. Um, I would have to yeah, rename it, rebrand it, the whole thing. But no, look, I think with so like so many other people that are in the same, you know, the same boat as myself that we're releasing music this year. I think everybody's happy just to give out some sort of a virtual hug, you know, to. We've all, across the board, everybody's been affected, you know, so badly with, with the pandemic and some far worse than me, far worse than others. But, you know, I, I just thought it'd be a lovely thing to be able to do is to actually get music out there and to, to touch people, to con- connect pe- with people through song, you know, like this. It's, re- it's been really important. So I've, it's been, um, been a saving grace for me and I hope all the people feel the same way. Well, you, you could be more right, Ronan, because, you know, the, the key thing right now is people need entertainment. People need distraction. People don't want to be watching the constant news cycle of stay indoors, wear a face mask, wash your hands, be careful, etc. We want light. Absolutely. We want laughter. We want entertainment. We want to be dancing in our kitchens. And you're an Well, that's that. it. You know, but yeah, but it's all about Strictly and I'm a Celeb and all of these great shows that we need back on our television that, you know, the entertainment values and factors, it's really important. And artists releasing music, Sam Smith's got music out. Everybody's putting records out now um, because it's, it's what we all need. We need that little bit of joy in our lives. 100%. Ronan, you opened the door. I'm a Celebrity, of course, it's back now. Would you? Yeah. Uh, it's not for me you know I love the show I love watching it uh, I love the whole you know the, the, every week you know I, I won't miss it but uh, I don't think I could see myself doing it well maybe who knows who knows you know look never say never I mean never say never I like that You, a Wichita, yeah. a Wichita grub possibly wouldn't put you right off uh not totally totally actually I, I'll be alright with that I don't think I'll be great with the snakes but I think anything else I can handle, the spiders and the heights and the, any, any of the rest of it, snakes, I think I might have an issue with. Fair enough, fair enough. Ronan, we had, we had your good mate Shane on the show recently. What a lovely yeah. man, by the way. Oh, gentleman. And you know what? He had the strangest, most lovely compliment about you, which was that he said you were a phenomenal racing driver. <laughs> Not as good as Shannon Lynch. Now, that, that boy can, that, <laughs> that guy can pilot a car. What a driver he is. He's, what a man, what a human being. You know, he's my go-to. Whenever you know, whenever you need somebody, Shannon's always the other end of the phone. He's he's just solid as a rock. He'll always be honest and up, you know, straight up with you. Uh, no better man would you find. He's a proper lovely soul, and and he actually said yeah. you guys have raced and you beat him. So you know the compliments. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think I might have hit him off the track. I don't think I beat him. I think I I bumped into him. I nudged him, and he couldn't finish the race, so I had to win. I mean, there was no choice there. But um, no, no, no. He's he's a better driver than me. That fella. Oh, you two are just too cute. You should get a room. Yeah, get a room. Lovely things about each other. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, Ronan, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, and I do want to get back to Notting Hill, and when you say nothing at all, because I have to, because what a song, and it's, it's done so many things. But I do have to discuss your kind of connection to The Postman, because actually what yeah. we've discovered recently 
is that the postmen have now found a new place in the nation's hearts or, or perhaps been rediscovered. We've, we've got a newfound affection for the post service. Well, they're, they're, it's unbelievable, actually. And it, it, we, it's something we all took for granted during lockdown one. Um, our connection with our post postie. I mean, for, for millions of people across the country, every day, the only person that they had contact with was their postie. Yeah. The only person that they saw Every day for how many months was their postie and delivering joy, sometimes in pain with the, with the odd bill, um, but that's a necessity. I mean, what can we do? These are the things that happen. Um, but yeah, the posties are, you know, uh, they need to be rewarded. And I'm working with not on the high street, honored to be working with not on the high street, who are celebrating the posties um, and the work that they've done this year, the tireless uh, work that they've done for everybody across the country this year. Do you know what I like about this, Ronan, is we are a giving nation, you know, and one thing we yeah. discovered, whilst you've just sort of outlined how much we appreciate our postal workers again, you know, one and a half million people rely on them to stop them from being lonely, etc. Yeah. And what I love about this, this new study from Not on the High Street has said that, you know, the UK are going to be spending over £487 million on thank you gifts for Britain's key That's workers. That's it. Isn't that great? Absolutely. And look, we all do it, you know, whether it's our bin men or our posties, you know, come end of the year, Christmas or whatever it may be, it's nice to give a little gift uh, to say thank you for for what they do. We don't get to see or talk to them all the time uh, and they're out there doing it every single day and, it, and it, you know, they, they give us you know, they, they give us the services that we need and, and we don't get to thank them. So what a lovely thing to be able to do is to give a little gift and we're not on the high street if you go online onto Not on the High Street, they're putting a postie pack together, which you can you can basically nominate and get your postie pack sent to you, and then you can give it you can give it to your postie, and it's a it's a lovely pre-packed little gift for your postie to say thank you. What a lovely thing to do, Ronan. I've got to ask you because, of course, we now everybody that's been staying at home has has been getting to know their postman's better as well because yeah. you know. Obviously, a lot of people have been working when the post usually gets delivered. Now most people are home, which is, you know, the yeah. right thing. So, Ronan, have, have you formed a friendship? What's your postman called? Uh, well, actually, we have three different posties that deliver to ours on different days. And uh, there's Tom, which uh, Tom would be the lad I talk to most of the time. Um, and one of the, he's one of the older gentlemen. And, he, uh, yeah, he's, you know, I, we have good chats. I mean, it's, it was really healthy. I think we all found during lockdown to just have a different conversation. And I think it was really important for our mindset because we got in a groove of talking about the same things every day. And what I found with Posty was I always tried to find something different to talk to him about when I chat to him in the morning because I was doing my radio show live from the house. I was doing Magic Breakfast live from the house. So, you know, I'd see, I'd see the Posty coming up the drive or whatever and I'd go, excuse me for a second and I put my headphones down and run out and have a quick chat with me Posty. Didn't go down great with Harry and Scott, but hey, <laughs> had to be done. At least you had someone to carry the conversation when yeah, you were out there for the last Absolutely. So absolutely. And of course, you know, I mean, we've got to talk about Postman Pat because not only, I love this fact, not only were you Postman Pat's singing voice in the movie yeah. in 2014, but of course, Ricky Gervais went and took it one further, didn't he, with uh, with Afterlife, where the postman yeah. in that show is called Pat. And, I, and, and you just see the friendship that they form. And it's just, it's a lovely example, isn't it? It is. It's a, it's a really lovely example. I, I mean, you know, it's some... I do think that the posties have been taken for granted for a long time and, and we saw something through 2020 that really opened our eyes and we realised how important and, and not just delivering what we need but also that connection and, and you know that human connection um, which is really really important and the beauty of a letter is you know something that we you know we, we, we've forgotten about because of email and connection and, and when the postie delivers that letter from someone from you know from Australia, let's say, because, you know, my wife's family are Australian and, and they'd send the odd letter or gift and the postie would deliver. And it's a really special thing. And it's, it's a magical thing that we take for granted. That's really lovely. I mean, I, I found that, you know, my my parents have been in, been able to stay in touch with my kids through the post, actually. It's been a, yeah. from FaceTime, etc. You know, it's been a lovely yeah. magic thing before school. If the letter drops and it's from Nana and Granddad, oh, it's fabulous. You know, it's just a really special Oh, absolutely. Moment. It really is. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, and we, we've got to keep that alive. 100%. 100%. Now, Ronan, you've had so many hits for so many years. I mean, it, I don't even know if you can get your head around how many people have listened to your music, but I mentioned When You Say Nothing at All earlier on, because it's, it's just it's poetry. It's such a song. And I decided to just check it out on Spotify, because I'm always fascinated. Can you believe yeah. this? 220 million listens on Spotify alone. Wow. 
Wow. Oh, wow. That just sounds like an awful lot. That's incredible. I mean, that's amazing. You know, at least, yeah. at least 30 of those are me, Ronan, but nonetheless. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I might have actually done that myself a few times. I think, I'm sure I've listened to it on Spotify. Um, trying to remember words. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ricky Wilson said to me that when a new Kaiser Chiefs album was out, he used to go to every record store in the vicinity and buy them up. Have you been guilty of that yourself? Uh, in the early days of Poison, I'm sure that we definitely went out and, and, yeah, we went out and we picked up the odd one or two along the way. I tell you what we were guilty of. We'd go into the record stores and we'd make sure that ours were in front of uh, Take That or the Backstreet Boys. Um, that was something we were definitely guilty of. Oh, do you know what? I really miss pop rivalries. It doesn't, oh, doesn't yeah, really bring exist it back. anymore, does it? It's like... No, bring it back. <laughs> bring it back. We don't want bands to have monopolies. Come on, we want rivalry. <laughs> it just makes it more spicy and more exciting. Uh, Ronan, right. I know you're really tight on time, but I do want to quickly touch on all the wonderful work you do raising money for, for breast cancer. Um, of course, there's the, the Marie Keating Foundation in, in honour of yeah. your mum, and you've done so much for it, from London marathons to walking the length of Ireland, and twice, in fact. You know, is that something you're going to be continuing to do? Uh, yeah, I, we, we have our emeralds and ivy ball every year, which we work with Cancer Research UK. And we've done it for 14 years, my wife, Strong, and I, and I think we've raised about 11 million on it. Uh, but sadly, we can't do it this year. Uh, we have our mobile units that, that travel around the country and they give a free service with Cancer Research UK and with the Marie Keating Foundation in Ireland. And it's been a really tough year because we're not government funded. So we have to um, we have to find a way to raise money to, to keep these units out there on the road because through this pandemic, uh, cancer, cancer sufferers, cancer um, people with cancer, not necessarily well, they have not been diagnosed and there's a, there's a massive fear that there'll be a huge influx in people with cancer when you know everything gets back to it, whatever new normal is. So it's really important. We feel that we get, we keep our units out on the road. That people are, you know, educated and informed about cancer and how to check themselves, what to check for. It's really, really important. So yeah, we we've had to find other ways, like doing online concerts, etc., to try and raise awareness and raise money for for our charities. Oh, good for you, Ronan. I'm I'm glad that you're going to carry it on, and it's it's such an important subject. So uh, I wish you every every luck with it and everything that's Thank happening, you, Andy. Ronan. You're a busy man, and it's lovely. Are to we see all you. are? Yeah. Thank you. We're we all are, Andy, aren't we? Oh, you got to thank you, haven't you, Ronan? What a joy! Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure, and my wife wasn't wrong. I think you know. Ah, tell her I said hello, please. I've, I've thank fallen, you. I've fallen for you myself, Ronan. What a joy! Ah, <laughs> thanks, Andy. <laughs> Cheers, pal. Have a great day, mate. All the very best. Have a good one. Take care. God bless. Bye bye. Driven with Andy J. It's Driven here on Talk Radio. This is the show that talks to celebrities and achievers about what drives them. And I'm thrilled to be able to chat to my next guest. When you think of a pop star, well, we've heard from Ronan, and now it's time to hear from one of the best in the business, the sensation that is, Suzanne Shaw. How are you doing, Suzanne? <laughs> Thank you. What an intro. Well, Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I'm just really, really thrilled to be chatting to you. And Suzanne, we've got so much to talk about, haven't we? I mean, my goodness, you've lived a life. Uh, yeah, certainly have. I mean, I'm yet to do the biography, but yes, uh, a lot. I've done a lot. I've well, done a lot. I've been around. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, let's do the audio version of your biography now, shall we? And and get started with, you know, here we are right in the middle now of lockdown 2.0. We've spent most of this year indoors, of course. So quite simply, mm -hmm. first and foremost, Suzanne, how are you doing? You all right? I'm doing really well. Um, yeah, really, really good. Uh, first lockdown was obviously a shock for everybody and we uh, we had to adapt and get used to uh, being around our loved ones 24 7 um, uh, but no I've, I've really enjoyed it I've really enjoyed that family time I've really enjoyed having to kind of change the way I work adapt our, the, the company that I have adapt the way I, I work um, as a celebrity um, but it's been it's been good I've um, I've kind of uh, been on a bit of a journey um, really I like the sound of that. I mean, this mm. this 2.0 or whatever they're calling it, lockdown number two, and yeah. you know, here we are, we're just over a week into it. We don't really know quite what it means in terms of duration. We were told we'll be out on, you know, very early December. I don't know. What, what's your hunch? Do you reckon that's going to happen? Well, I'm hoping so because I am meant to be doing pantomime. I mean, my first panto um, 
uh, that that was uh, offered and then it, it went away. And then um, only a couple of weeks ago, I got asked to do um, another pantomime. Uh, one of the big pantomime companies, Tudos, are putting on just a handful of their major pantos and they're being sponsored by the National Lottery. So they're able to social distance in the theatre. And so um, only a few weeks ago, I got offered to do that. And then it was like, hold on, they're extending the furlough till March. Oh, mm. crap. Does that mean that theatres won't be opening? Um, what I'm trying to do, though, and this is one of my things that I've uh, kind of been developing um, over this time, is to try and not predict, really, because I think that can just cause a lot of heartache for no reason. You end up creating a reality that doesn't exist. So right now, I'm just taking it each day as it comes because it has really been um, a year of uh, bookings that have been obviously had to be uh, taken away. And then next thing you're booked on something. So I kind of have learned that the best thing to do is, is not predict what's going to happen. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny as well with something like pantomime. You mm. sort of realise how much we've taken for granted. Like, you know, obviously just, just the other day it was fireworks night. And I mean, I really missed, I realise it's better for the pets that there aren't fireworks going up left, right and centre. So that's probably one <laughs> positive byproduct. But I miss the community of going to watch the fireworks and the, you know, the Guy Fawkes and all that stuff. I really missed that this year. Yeah. You know? and you, yeah. The same if, if pantos, I mean, like you say, most pantos have been, has been binned off because theatres are shut if this one which yeah. the, what did you say the national lottery are kind of co-funding it wow yeah i mean that's yeah. amazing if, if it does happen but like you say with the extension of the scheme doesn't you wouldn't put money on it would you well, I, I know. I mean, it is a shame. And I think we have all learned that actually we have taken for granted all of these years of these big community gatherings and get together and celebrations and taken each other for granted a lot. I think this year has been a real massive learning curve for us all in, in lots of ways. Uh, and I think community has been the biggest word to come out of, um, uh, of this pandemic, of that coming together and in it together. Has been the biggest thing. So for me personally, because my first passion in life is theatre, is live, um, it, it's quite heartbreaking to see there's a lot of venues that are having to close and being forced to shut. Um, and that pantomime is the first introduction to children, to mm. theatre. And for that not to be going ahead and the likelihood of that not going ahead, um, it worries me because what a lot of people don't know out there is, is Panto, um, because it is a very popular time of year being Christmas and it's a lot of things that families love to do together, it saves theatres. Yeah. So when pantomimes go on, it means that the theatre, if they don't really have a very successful year, it's always the same. Don't worry, we've got pantomime because that will keep the theatre going. Um, and for that not to happen is is really quite worrying. It's it's. I think, you know, although people are kind of aware, and if you're not in the arts, people are kind of aware that, that everything's on standstill, heavy pause, etc. I don't think you're sort of, your common man, as it were, is, is necessarily... Mm quite in tune with just how much has happened for actors performers directors lighting yeah. technicians sound artists venues i mean you know whilst mm. whilst plenty of people have had the furlough to fall back on lots and lots of yeah. performers just haven't have they no we've uh, very much fallen through the cracks that's for sure um yeah it's, it's quite heartbreaking really a lot of my friends i've got friends who um and uh, from all sorts of levels of performers not just your celebrities and some obviously people who are, are, are well-known profiles are really really struggling right now um but not just it, i think what's happened within this industry it's kind of leveled us all off that your job is just as important as the next person and i've got friends who are in Abbey tribute band uh, a band that i was in before i was in hearsay and um they have without they're from their own choice. Their lives have been taken away from them because they spend six months of the year in Mallorca doing their season, uh, performing in the other tribute band. And now this year, they're not able to go over there. They've got a, a, a flat over there that they've done 17 seasons. So saved up 17 years, got themselves a flat that they're now having to, to sell. They're never going to return back to Mallorca. Um, and that's their days over. And now they're trying, they're having to retrain they're having to do something different because it's affected them that badly. And yet they haven't had the support of the government. Um, they've had very, very little financial support because they're self-employed. Um, and it, it's just not really worked out for them. 
Yeah, it's really, really tough. And of, and of course, mm. you know, people listening that are thinking, OK, but Suzanne's a pop star. What's the, what's the deal? Why is she so interested in, in theatres? Actually, you know, what people may not realise is that, you know, you've been a huge presence on the West End. You know, after Hearsay, yeah. and we, we've got to go back and talk about Hearsay, of course, but yeah, yeah. after Hearsay, you know, you graced the stage for a long, long, long time, didn't you? You were in everything yeah. that required you to smash it vocally, which you did. Um, it's funny, really, because before I got into Hearsay, um, my very first professional job was nine years old, um, performing in a, a classical uh, musical called Showboat. And so theatre has been my first passion, my first love. It's what I wanted to go into. It was actually by accident I ended up in Hearsay. Um, but yeah, very much my first love was um, musical theatre and acting. And so when Hearsay came to an end, the very first job I had out of Hearsay was to go into Summer Holiday, the musical. And then from there, I did Rocky Horror Show, um, Joseph, Chicago, um, Snow and it, Snow White, the <laughs> Pantomime, Snow White, Cinderella, yeah. <laughs> Aladdin. Um, I was the carpet. That wasn't really. Um, <laughs> Um, but it, it, ha- it has, it's been a big part of my life. Um, and for me, it, it is, it has had a massive effect on me what's happened. Um, you know, I won't lie, I've tried my best not to get upset and angry about it, but there have been times where there's just been no justification how you can go on an aeroplane, sit next to each other for a long haul flight, but you can't sit in the theatre for two hours. They, there's things like that that do irritate me. Um, and I wonder why. This is uh, allowed to happen because, you know, the live arts does bring in a lot of income for the economy. Um, it's a massive drive for a big, big part of our economy. So I, it does frustrate me. Um, I won't lie. I do get frustrated about it. <laughs> yeah, and rightly so. And, and of course, it's the whole you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And if we start yeah. seeing the shutters coming down permanently on theatres and people aren't yeah. going to go and watch, you know, local comedy or see a gig for a band yeah. they love or whatever, then, you know, then we'll realise what we've lost properly. And I, I hope it doesn't happen before it's too yeah. late. Um, and, it's, and it's education as well and culture. It, it, it's everything. It supports a lot. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, Suzanne, obviously, I, I want to kind of, uh, if you're happy, I'd like to talk about mental health because you've had yeah. you know, various different challenges and battles and issues. But I suppose to get into that, we should probably paint the picture, which is, of course, that, mm. you know, Hearsay, 20 years, almost 20 years ago, that yeah. Hearsay was, was put together via the power of television. And of course, yep. you're still the only UK act to have a number one single and a number one album at the same time, which is... Uh. Crazy. I didn't even know that. Are we still the? Oh, really? Wow. Nice? Yeah. That is great. It's great, though. I mean, we were the very first band um, to be formed uh, through a reality show. Um, so it is. It's mad that it's, it's twenty years ago. In fact, it's twenty years ago to this day. We were in the final auditions, um, and then it's twenty years next March that we released the single that the the pop stars was um, uh, came out on TV. So, um, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I can't believe it's been that length of time. Um, and all by accident, I auditioned for, for the show. Um, I don't know if you remember the, the magazine. In fact, it's still it's the Stage magazine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I read the uh, the article in say, it said something like, do you want to be a pop star? And I was like, yeah, all right then. Huh, yeah. Give it a go. Yeah. Give it yeah. give it a go. Uh, at the time I was auditioning for Godspell the musical and uh for Maria in Coronation Street. Um and actually it was like I was on the fence, should I go, should I not? And then one of my mates said, um, will you uh do you want to go to this audition together? And she only asked me because I had a car and I could give her a lift. Um <laughs> so, great so but yeah, yeah, great friend. But the funny thing is is that the car so the car was left to me in my granddad's will, but under the provisions that I would drive my nan everywhere. So, um, so I had the, my, this this Ford, white Ford Orion, um, was my very first car. Um, but I had to drop my nan off at Berry Market before going for the audition at Granada Studios and queuing up for the audition. So I dropped my nan off at Berry Market, queued up for the audition, uh, did my bit, got through the first round. And then I thought, oh, God, my nan's at Berry Market. Didn't have a mobile back then. Yeah, so uh, so I had to go to the phone box. She didn't have a mobile, so I couldn't, I couldn't ring Berry Market and go, can you find my nan? <laughs> um, so, so I had to ring my uncle to then go and pick her up because I, nev- I knew I wasn't going to make it uh, to pick a collector from Berry Market. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was 
strange because I got through that round. And then uh, I remember Nigel Lithgow saying, there's going to be five people in this band. It could be a girl band. It could be a boy band. It could be a mix. Uh, but these five people, they're going to move to London. They're going to have a million pound record deal. They're going to live in a house. Uh, and we're going to make them pop stars. And I thought, wow, what five lucky people. That sounds ace. Thinking, crap, I've got to pick my nan up from Berry Market. <laughs> so um, <laughs> uh, never in a million years did I think I would have been in the, the final lineup. Well, like you say, it, it sounds ace. I mean, the idea of it does sound amazing. You know, five, mm. five strangers who have only one thing in common, which is they can all perform thrown together yeah. in, this, in this crazy house with, you know, with a million pound contract. Was it as good as it sounds? <laughs> well, I mean, you've just kind of put it into the right words. Put these five strangers who have one thing in common, throw them into a house and let's really see what we do to their mental health. <laughs> right. I, mean, I mean, it was, it was a great experience. I was 19 years old. I was never going to say no to this experience. Of course, you know, I was going to be a pop star. This is going to be absolutely amazing. What I didn't get told was that, you know, I was going to face um, the fact that actually it was not going to be about our music. It was going to be about our lives, what had happened to us previously, who had we dated. The papers were going to go rife for it. They were going to... Um, go after our ex-boyfriends and, and find out all these intimate details. And it be, it became less about our music because we were a story about a band being put together. These five kids that were, came off the street. Danny, you know, the ex-cleaner, became a pop star. Kim had two kids. She lived on a council estate. She's now a pop star. Um, Noel from Cardiff. Um, Suzanne from Berry, and then you've got Mylene, the musician, who uh, who's ended up uh, becoming a pop uh, singer instead of a, a classical um, artist. So it was a great story. Yeah. So it was never going to be about our music. It was always going to be about our lives. Um, and unfortunately, that that took its toll. There was a lot of public humiliation uh, individually for for each one of us. And I think in the end, we could no longer keep fighting against the papers. Um, and keep fighting against the fact that we were we were stories, uh, we were gossip, um, and we weren't. It was never going to be about our music, and I think that that was something that we all had to learn, and not just us as a band, um, but also uh, the network and the record label and the management. It was all brand new, and everyone was trying to figure out how to deal with this. Um, and unfortunately, this experiment um, just kind of left five people fighting for um, survival, I suppose. You know, we as soon as the record company, as soon as we decided that we didn't want to be together as a band, that was it. You know, we were left to our own devices and having to pick up the pieces when suddenly everything has been done for you. There was no mentoring. It, it was tough for everybody. I mean, I don't think I could blame anybody. I could blame the papers for sure. Um, you know, I think, I, think <laughs> I think they wouldn't be able to get away with what they got away with now did you did um, you get some sticks Suzanne because I remember I remember Danny in particular got singled out for for various yeah. reasons and I, you know we don't have to go into that but I can remember thinking geez this poor kid you know he's he's one of the lads yeah. that, we, that we voted in and and you know you you sort of yeah. felt as the public you felt a degree of ownership of you guys because we'd voted for you and we'd wanted you to be there and, and all of that mm. but obviously you know and we'd watched I think more important we had watched your journey your evolution yeah. to see who would get through etc in fact did we vote for you I'm I'm, I'm maybe getting we, wrong. did the public yeah vote? we did no we? it wasn't no. no it wasn't a public vote no um it was we were chosen by um the judges that's right so in actual fact really it was more of a documentary of how a band was being put together that's right um and i think the, the final show was finishing on alive with davina mccall um announcing that we'd got to number one with our single um, and it was it was more of the journey of this uh, putting a band together as as, as recording. Yes, um, that's right. That was before the days of premium line numbers to vote for so and so, yeah. etc. Yeah, that's course. right. So did yeah. so, so as I say, I mean, obviously, I remember Danny getting some real grief, and I and I, I seem to recall Kim didn't have the easiest of rides in in some of the red tops. Mm -hmm. But but did did you get some some grief? Because I know you got some very unnecessary attention after the band with you know your your ex yeah. and so on, but. Did yeah, I, I, yeah, very. I think it was very much only ever about my love life in in the papers. Um, what I what happened to me is I, I got a lot of people selling out on me, um, ex boyfriends selling their stories, 
um, ex-friends, yeah, people along the way. So for me, it was it was more so about that rather than the tabloids going in for the kill about how I looked or or who I was. Um, yeah, so it, for me, it was it was a big trust thing. People that I thought uh, were my friends, um, people I thought I could trust just everything, my intimate details with, um, uh, pretty much all sold out of me. So I kind of came away from it. Um, and still really struggle today with trusting people. Um, so that has been my fight. My personal journey has been the fight for being able to trust, um, uh, people in my life, be able to get close to people. In fact, you know, it it, it was really, it was really tough because I, I even blamed my dad, um, a lot of the time for selling out on me. Um, and unfortunately, I can't apologize for to him because he's passed away now. But when in reality, you know, it, it, a lot of hacking was going on at, in the time of the band as well. So, so it was a yeah, it was a it was a tough time, and I've I've had to come through a lot of trauma and a lot of self discovery on how I get over over that. Gosh, I'm really I'm I'm really sorry to hear this, Suzanne, because it's you know. As a member of the public, you don't really think about these things, do you? You just mm. kind of, you just kind of think, oh, okay, well, there's a there's a you know famous person. They must be really loaded, and their life must be easy. You know, there's just this kind of assumption yeah. that because you're famous, you you've got an easy life, and you've got all the money you could ever need. You know, the idea that you've lost friends, fell out with family, etc. I'm I'm guessing yeah. I'm not putting words in your mouth here. It's a question rather than a statement. If I could offer you the opportunity to go back and not stand in that queue. You know, not audition, not be in here. Yeah. Knowing what you know, would you still audition or would you have? I'm not that? sure. I've got to be honest, I'm not sure. And I think because I was I was very much on a road of um, going down the acting and musical theatre to, to, to route. Um, I was um, auditioning for big soaps at the time and dramas. So I think maybe if I'd have known what I know now, I would have just maybe continued down in my first love, my first passion. Um, but then you can never say never. You know, I, I have in all of the crap that came with it, there was equally abundance of wonderful, amazing life experiences and um, and life changing opportunities as well. Um, I was able to to help my family in ways that I never could have imagined um, financially. Um, I just think it's, it's quite important to, to realize that I think with success of what people think success is which is fame and fortune I think people generally forget that we're humans too and we have feelings and that actually fame and fortune doesn't make you invincible and make you strong Um, it kind of just puts you in the firing line for a lot of abuse and grief Um, and I think it's such a shame that we we think success is fame and fortune and really, the way I look at success now is happiness and actually enjoying your family and, and, and you know, being comfortable in your own skin. No, absolutely. Absolutely. No, you're, you're so right. I mean, it seems almost crass to ask this, Suzanne, but while we're still talking about hearsay, and we've got plenty more to discuss, but just while, yeah. we're on, you know, we've mentioned the anniversary, 20 years. Yeah. I mean, have you thought about some, it seems mad. But have you thought yeah, about getting I mean, back together as a reunion on the cards? I've, I've got to be honest, you know, it's it's that time of your life, you know, it's 20 years, it's a big moment. I'd be lying if I said, no, I haven't thought about it and be lying to say that I wouldn't want to think about it seriously. Um, and I have been chatting to uh, the others uh, from the band quite a bit and it's been quite a nostalgic time. And I think as well, the pandemic, it's done a lot of funny things to a lot of people, hasn't yeah, it? It's absolutely. made people really look at their past and look at how they want to fix things. And it would be nice to think maybe we could do something that's yet to be agreed, by the way. And I haven't got any confirmation from anybody. And you'd be surprised to think, you know, not everybody may be in the band, may be in agreement of it. But really? I think, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I mean, you, you you just know you just who's the uh, come on who's the naysayer Suzanne come on is it, is it <laughs> I th- no actually you'd be surprised I think the boys are a little bit more tentative You're about uh, come on no yeah. Danny and Noel there's surely they're <laughs> shoo-ins they're like yeah of course of course we're gonna be there straight away we're there. where's where's the rehearsal they'll be there an hour early surely <laughs> no it's honestly and I think this is this is why um, you know the way I look at it is that. Um, it's, it's easy to, it, because of what we went through, 
it's harder for us to go, do you know what, let's just do it. I think it was a lot easier for Liberty X to get back together, a lot easier for, for these other bands of that time. But I think, you know, you the way we were looked at, it wasn't about our music. So just getting back together and going, let's get back on stage. Let's sing a bit of Pure and Simple. There you go. Let's high five each other. Wasn't that lovely? I think it's a lot more complicated than that because we're all a little bit too afraid to think what is going to come out. And like you said, you know, Danny went through a really tough time and so did Noel yeah. publicly. So actually those two are probably the, the, the ones to think, is this really what we want to do whereas as Kim and Mylene they're out there they're there all the time they're there um, you know Mylene's doing uh, Dancing on Ice you've got uh, Kim doing uh, the new BBC morning show so they're okay they're okay to do that um, whereas I think um, it's a little bit harder to kind of put yourself in the firing line again it, thinking what the hell how is this going to end for us this time yeah, hopefully no, if we do get together it will end um, it'll be a, a good ending It'd be nice if it, I mean, if you make yeah. it work, if you do it on your terms. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you mentioned yeah. Dancing on Ice, of course, which which Mylene's currently um, undergoing. Yeah. 2008, you went and won it. And, and my goodness, <laughs> if, if anybody ever questioned your metal and your mental strength, you didn't just win it. You won it with a broken rib, a gashed head and a chipped, <laughs> and a chipped ankle bone. And they say I'm stupid. <laughs> yes. Um, and they'd be right. Uh, yeah, I did. Um I just loved it. I think for me, um, you know, I, I love competition. I've been competing um, in dan- in the dance world since I was three years old. So I love going for something. Um, I'm a bit of a daredevil. I, I really do um, do like a challenge. And so when I got asked to do the show, I was so excited. And something like to, uh, what I love about some amazing reality shows out there that you would never think you would have the opportunity to pick up a new skill in life and yet you you get offered to do something like dancing on ice and now I can ice skate now I can go to an ice rink at Christmas one of these open air ice rinks maybe not this year but next year I'll be back on there and and be able to show off a little bit because I've learned a few tricks um so it, it was such an amazing experience honestly one of the best gigs I've ever done um and just really, really enjoyed it. And I think because I enjoyed the process of it and loved it so much, I think that probably helped me, you know, get so far in the competition um, and then win it. Um, but yeah, it was great fun. I really, really enjoyed it. And I've said to Mylene as well, just go in and enjoy it. Yeah. Just enjoy it because it is. It's a lot. It's so much fun. Absolutely. Well, Apart I mean, from when you get a skate in the back of your head, well, that isn't so much. Yeah, that would. You know, I think everyone wants to avoid that. That wouldn't be much fun. Now, Suzanne, if you don't mind me saying, you're sounding fantastic. You sound like you're in a really good place. I follow you on Instagram. uh, And and you seem, everything that I'm seeing of you just seems like you're a lady transformed. Yeah, yeah. So I I use this term lightly, but tell me about the new you. Is there a new Suzanne Shaw? Because, you know, you've you've faced your struggles. You've faced your depression. You've, You've... had your periods of boozing and I think you if you don't mind me saying I think you had some postnatal depression to deal with as well you know you, you've had yeah. a lot on your plate emotionally mentally to, to kind of get through and it, it, yeah. this is why I'm making the assumption that you're now in a stronger place if I'm wrong yeah please correct no me. definitely no definitely and I'm glad that's uh, that's coming through um on on uh, social media because I think it was I got to the point where I I just thought I've really got to, if I want to help my mental health, I've really got to make some changes. And I think, to be honest, you've got, you have, you you are your own home and you've got to look after yourself because if you can't look after yourself, you're unable to be there for others. And it did get to that point um, where I just had to make some major changes because I was fed up with the same old story. Um, And so making those changes um, and helping my mental health was to make some really big ones. And that was very much to change my lifestyle and to stop drinking um, and to look at uh, the food that I was putting into my body and to to start exercising. Because what I think I've only realized this now, actually, is that my exercise came from the fact that I had a very active job. So dancing, ice skating. Um, and when you are performing, you do have to keep up your fitness yeah. um, to be able to have the stamina. So in recent years, when I've not so much performed and I've gone more on the production side um, and I've done different kinds of, of work on the stage, more kind of plays, um, 
I've really let myself go. <laughs> like in the fact that I wasn't like running, I wasn't I wasn't doing any form of exercise. I loved to drink, and um, I loved a doner kebab. Good for and, you. But I know. Obviously, not good for you. Just um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and but the thing is, it's like it wasn't like oh, it's a one-off. It was becoming a point of, um, particularly when I was pregnant with Rafi, I was like, I'd have my tea, which was fairly nutritious, and then I'd go to Sam, my partner, I'd go, oh, go down to the kebab shop and get me a kebab and some chips, please. <laughs> so I was having it as a side option as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I thought, oh, God, you know, um, I'm not pregnant anymore and I'm still doing this. So I, I really had to, to give myself a long, hard look in the mirror and go, right, come on, let's sort this out now. Um, and, yeah, I uh, I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to take some challenge. I'm going to go and do uh, a one-year no bit, which is actually a company that um, – that do these challenges because one thing that I, I didn't consider myself I didn't consider myself an alcoholic I just considered myself somebody who probably had a little bit of a bad relationship with alcohol okay. I could go without it and do um, six weeks of um, good eating exercise and no drinking but then there'd be times I'd go to a party I'd end up binge drinking and then um, I'd get into bad routine of having a glass or two um, every evening um, and I just thought, oh, I don't, I don't want this for my life anymore. Mm. So yeah, so I joined this one year no beer community. Um, I uh, taken on the challenge of going alcohol free for an entire year. I'm now on eleven months, um, but you. also yeah, I don't get me woo. Um, and so I also, I, I also feel like it's the best thing I've ever done for my life. Um, you know, not, not drinking alcohol means that I'm eating better. I've gone plant-based um so i'm really kind of educating myself on um on nutrition i'm even taking a diploma in nutrition oy, oy. um i know get me i've gone back to school um and then yeah and then with that just exercising i've taken up running and i found like this newfound love of running but for me the running has probably been my biggest therapy um, that has been my my headspace, my time to get um, to kind of exhaust the demons in my head when when they come around, and I start doubting myself, or I start getting paranoid about um, people um, around me. Um, and so, yeah, it's really it's it kind of it kind of came. I was doing this before the pandemic, so <laughs> I'd started off January. 2020 I wanted to take 20 challenges on um for 2020 because it was 20 years of being in show business and I thought I'm taking these challenges on so that's why I went plant-based that's why I I quit the alcohol that's why I took up running I also had uh, I, I booked to do um base camp Everest um and I had all of these wonderful things one of them being a podcast as well I wanted to set up my own podcast and then obviously March came around a few things got in the way. I couldn't do base camp Everest, um, Everest base camp. I couldn't um, do a few things that I booked in some of the running challenges. Um, but I, I did stick with a lot of them. Um, and I feel really good for it. And um, I can't, it's, it's almost like I've, I've almost taken it on as a new job now. I'm so um, impressed, Suzanne. And if you don't mind me saying it, at the risk of me sounding like a bit of a perv, you still <laughs> you still look 19. I mean, you I don't oh, know, I don't I, know how you, you looked 10 years ago, but right now... You still look incredible. I mean, so super, angles, super angles and lighting, angles and lighting, <laughs> all the way. Um, no, I, it's, I've, I've got to be honest, though. I've got to give it to my mum and dad. Um, my mum, it looks really, really youthful, and my dad, he had uh, really youthful genes as well. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think it's it's more more down to the DNA than anything. Um, but yeah, I uh, I just feel great, and I and then I thought, and then another thing, and then another thing. Sorry, I'm pipe, I'm just blabbering on here. Um, yeah, I thought, why not utilize my social media in a positive way? Because I didn't want to just post up pictures, go and look at my perfect life when knowing full well that I have struggles um, and that my life isn't perfect. So I thought, what I'm going to do is document my um, process and. Um, and, and and in a very honest and truthful way, because one, it's going to help me stick to it and, and, and hold myself accountable to keep on top of it. And two, hopefully it might help one person out there to say, you know, if you're struggling with mental health, these are the changes that I made. You're not alone. 
Um, and even maybe people might want to kind of take up some of the stuff that I found really helpful in my life. And that's why in this lockdown 2.0, um, I, I've put this, this, the sure happy plan, as I'm calling it, um, this uh, uh, live events of things to do over this, this lockdown to keep in shape, keep positive and, and eat healthily. Brilliant. Fantastic. Sir, Susanna, it's been an, it's such a joy talking to you and, and, and oh, really, thank you. really uplifting. Thank you for your honesty as well. You, you made Cheers. reference uh, early doors that one of your challenges with a podcast is, is that something that's happening? Yes, I'm really excited. I'm so excited about this. Um, yeah, it's called Dare to Be Happy, and um, and we're going to start recording it in about a week's time. So it will be probably released over Christmas period. So I'm very very excited about that. Oh, what a tonic! I'll definitely be subscribing. Fantastic, Suzanne. You have Thank an amazing you. day. Thank you for your company. Cheers, Andy. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Driven with Andy J on Talk Radio in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. So do you live around there? Yeah. Do me a favour. If you want to go swimming, there's better places than this. I could show you. Where you been? Do you see anyone? Where? Inside the house? Or outside? Just talking to a boy. Someone's here. Who did this to you? No one. Was it this boy you've been talking to? I told you not to go out. It's too much to harm you. This is Driven here on Talk Radio with me, Andy J, and that was the trailer for the new film Nuclear, which you can stream online now with tip-top actor George McKay. Now, before we speak about the film and the epic triple Oscar-winning 1917, for which he was the lead character, I started by asking him how he finds doing this interview to promote the film when we're all currently in lockdown and cinemas are closed. It's a double-edged sword, to be honest, because it's like... I love the cinema, absolutely. There's, there's nothing more exciting than that sort of moment of kind of, you know, the black screen as the titles are about to begin. Like, I, I absolutely love the cinema. I hope and trust it will come through this, um, you know, kind of everything that's come with, with this pandemic. But that said, there is kind of, it, in all honesty, this is a much smaller film. And the, and the sort of, I guess, the industry side of cinema, it's not all, these films aren't always the ones that like have chances taken taken on them in the big screen so in a way this may be a beautiful opportunity when when there's there's more of an audience watching this at home and and the decision has been made to put this up online where the kind of the film itself can be seen and it might not be seen in the cinema as was intended but the story itself will get out there so i think that in itself is a is a very positive thing well i mean i think it's great not that cinemas are closed i think that's awful but i think it's great that that new movies are still being released. I can't tell you how disappointed I am that Bond keeps being postponed. And obviously now I know it has to be, because. but when we mm. had that period in between the lockdowns where cinemas were open, they could have got it out there. They could have got more bums on seats. And they chose not to for, for, for various reasons, I'm sure. But if cinemas to survive when it is open, it needs the blockbusters to come out, not to delay and to postpone, in my opinion. I'm not asking you to comment on that because I realise it might be a controversial thing for you to remark on. So I'm not trying to take you down any kind of storyline modes here, by the way, George, I'm not trying to catch right. you out at all. But I think it's no, great no, no. that films are still being released during these kind of restricted periods because, like you say, people can watch them. We need new things to watch. You know, it, it's like when something new drops on Netflix right now, there's a communal sigh of relief because it's like, oh, goodness. <laughs> something, yeah. something else is... You know what I mean? Yeah, we're all desperate for content. You know, now we've got the sort of the time and, you know, and also we are in these kind of very seismic times of all these kind of like, all these massive kind of happenings and um and and i think that will sort of you know make for for great stories to come of it hopefully so i think it's important that in any way we can we keep you know we keep the industry going and sort of with with the moves and changes that come with with the situation yeah no absolutely now george can i talk to you about the timeline for your involvement with 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 nuclear because what Mm. i really love about this is you you know you've just come off the back of one of the biggest most successful movies ever 1917 was a smash hit. I mean, it was everywhere. Everybody watched it. All the awards across the board. And you were the lead man. You were the star. And I want to talk to you about that properly in a moment, if that's okay, because, wow, what an opportunity. But my point is, you were in this massive, massive smash hit. You were suddenly an overnight sensation. And yet the next film 
that we get to see you in is this independent, which I think is brilliant because you've been able to lend your star power to a, to a film that, as you've said yourself, may not have necessarily hit the big screen straight away. But because of your name attached to it, people are going to gravitate towards it. So I guess my question is, in a long round way, did you sign on before 1917 was out or did you sign on afterwards knowing that actually you were going to have this great power to make this movie something really special? In all honesty, it was nuclear, just nuclear came first. But I would I would say that and then it, I wouldn't change it any other way if like nuclear came after. Like Catherine's script, uh, you know, as for hopefully as and when people see the film is so beautiful and it's so kind of wonderfully deep yet sparse in terms of that it's so kind of sparse in the dialogue that's there but what that dialogue could mean is kind of completely up for interpretation and for uh, and there's as I say there's this there's this double level running through it the whole time so I mean my decision wouldn't have been any different had a like chronology been any different but but it did just so happen that we made this film I think it was about a year and a half before 1917 and it's just I guess 1917 being the nature of that project was that we kind of front-ended the process a huge amount with the uh, this rehearsal sort of choreographing the film and therefore conventionally it had a very short post-production period where with nuclear it was sort of the opposite way around where it was you know when we filmed it very quickly but then just given sort of budget and timings and and all things and also just that the post-production creative process it took a lot longer to come out. So it's, um, but I think it's, but that said, it's still, it's still a wonderful thing that any kind of like push that it can get through, you know, like all's involvement in other projects and kind of to raise awareness for nuclear is, is, is a beautiful thing. No, that's great. That's really good to hear as well. And, and, I must say, your hair is amazing in nuclear, by the way. Really, really <laughs> impressive. And I, and I was kind of thinking to myself, well, you can't have had this hair after running through those trenches. You know, that's going to that's gonna take its soul on your hairline. So, so. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, well, thank you very much. I was, yeah, I was, had my long hair because I, I just did another film about, about Ned Kelly that was I was meant to be doing for and I was growing my hair nice and long to, to eventually be chopped into a mullet. Um, so um, I'm, I'm pleased that you know it got a chance to be seen in all its <laughs> in all its sort of windy glory, windy lion's mane. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic stuff, mate. Brilliant. Um, can we ha- can we have a little chat about 1917? I imagine your board censors are talking about it, but my goodness, mate, it's a hell of a no. no I will, well, thank you very much. No, like it's um, it's it, it means so much to me the process of that film and it, in so many levels, like you know personally creatively uh, as a learning experience it was really profound and um and yeah and, and so it's so wonderful that it kind of has turned out the way the way that it did but it was i think the, the one of the biggest lessons was the process of making it there was never there was never a kind of a lead element to to any part of it other than making the story and because of the nature of the sort of making it seem like this one take is we couldn't edit it. So we had to sort of suss out or not edit it conventionally, sorry. Mm. But so you had to kind of, all things had to be working kind of as close to perfect as we, as one can ever get to achieve each kind of portion of the film. Cause we sort of did it in whole three minute chunks and, and usually, you know, you kind of go, okay, well, we'll do this shot for camera. We'll do this shot for acting. And then we'll move the set around here to, do that and so everything is 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 a collaboration but perhaps a little bit more separate in that collaboration where everything had to be kind of working in harmony with 1917 to achieve each little portion of the film as we went along and that that collaborative nature and the fact that it was impossible to do without pure mutual collaboration was was a real lesson in how how we should be just in general i think work and life no do you know and and it's so kind of humble and interesting to hear you say that because of course that that initial shot that it's so famed for which just goes on and on and on and on and on and isn't it's an incredible piece of filmmaking never mind mm. performing and acting and 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 the set dressing and and all the other things that go into it and and like you sort of say that the kind of teamwork behind it because every frame as you get through the trenches and then you know i don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it yet but the, the opening sequence i guess it's the opening like 17 18 minutes isn't it it's like a long old chunk of time before we, mm. in fact, in fact, it might even be longer than that but it's a whole <laughs> chunk of time and the thing is you're kind of humbly saying about the teamwork and of course you've got lots and lots of other performers the camera crew you know the soundies etc a huge number of people involved in in so much of that that happens but the mainstay 
on camera the entire time is is you. You're there for everything. So whilst everyone else has to play their part, the pressure really is on you to nail it. Because if you mess up, say, 12 minutes in, that's a whole lot of resetting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that, I guess that's the thing is, it's like, uh, you know, but that that's the, that, that's the same with everyone. That's the same with the fella, you know, carrying the camera. You know, that's, that's the same with everyone in terms of the focus pulling. There's someone, you know, with film cameras, the way that you kind of auto-focus things on phone, there, there, there is someone with film who is doing that manually so that you have even you can create drama in what you look at, you know, and even that was like being part of the rehearsal process and learning about the drama that be, can be created with hearing something, but, and have that shape be out of focus and being on focus on, you know, the character who's registering that noise, but you as an audience are still kept in the dark kind of figuratively or that thing of having the thing in focus and then having the character in the foreground out of focus. And so you understand that they haven't seen the thing that you as an audience already know is coming to get them sort of thing. So it was, and all of that is like, all of that unconscious storytelling is being done very consciously by all these amazing people. And, and the pressure for that, like focus pulling, that's the thing of like, you can only get it wrong. Like 110% <laughs> right is acceptable. Yeah. Otherwise the thing's out of focus. And, and no one ever knows that. I, I think focus pullers are the most incredible crafts, like, you know, craftsmen and women on set, really. So it, but that's the thing. It was very kind of you to say that there was pressure on me, but there was, there was pressure on everyone. And, and together we sort of eased that. What a team player. I think that's a really, really kind of mature thing for you to say, George. And I know that sounds a bit patronising for me, but I'm really old, so I can get away with these things. <laughs> now, I've got to ask you this, because a while ago, the, the amazing Ian McKellen once said to me, I can still remember all the key lines from Gandalf. So <laughs> can you still pretty much verbatim 1917 script? I tell you, I think more than the lines, I could walk the journey. I think I'd, I think, I think I'd, I think I'd trip up on the words, but I think I could, you know, hop up from the tree, down the trench, get the sandwich, turn left, right into the dugout, and then left, and then right, and then, you know, I think I could genuinely, I think I could walk it, um, but I might fluff a couple of the lines. Well, good for you. I think that's absolutely awesome. I have a friend that worked on the film, and he he told me just what a brilliant guy you were. So it's uh, it's lovely to have that backed up, being able to talk to you because it's you know, yeah. really impressive to hear. One of the things that we do on this show, it's called Driven. It's about what drives people, and it's about mm -hmm. what gets people out of bed in the morning, what keeps people going. And I hope you don't mm -hmm. mind me bringing this up, but it's a known fact about you, and that was that at 17, you, you didn't get in to RADA, you didn't get into Lambda, you know, which mm. it's a, at the time must have been crushing, crippling, devastating. What the heck am I going to do? And yet, look at you kind of 11 years later, you know, sort of very different circumstances. But how did you kind of find the resilience to keep going? Because those, you know, those are big institutions that I'm sure if you'd got in, you would have known, OK, I'm definitely going to be an actor. Whereas not getting into them, presumably, it's a bit of a mental reset. Yeah, I think it's a lot of those. It's a lot of things. I think you know, it's it's a it's a it was a kind of positive kick up the bum in terms of like. The, I mean, the audition process was fascinating as well. In terms, I'd luck, I've been lucky enough to do sort of have jobs in film and telly up to the point of auditioning, mm. and, and you know, you learn your words more incrementally. And suddenly, the process of drama school, you got to do two one minute monologues, one uh, Shakespearean or Jacobean, another one contemporary, and just simply doing a monologue and knowing that you literally have one go at it, not again and again, 10 or 11 or something. It, there's a lot of pressure and, uh, and, and it kind of teaches you a real discipline and nothing's a given, you know, nothing's a given. If you don't get in, it doesn't mean that everything's over. And by the same token, if you do get in, it provides you with an amazing amount of present learning, but mm. then, then you've got to continue working afterwards. And so I don't know, it was just a bit of a wake up call is that you just presently have to keep, learning and trying and watching and doing and so I was it made it made me kind of make a much more concerted effort when I was lucky enough to get work outside of after you know after that auditioning experience to kind of go right well I was prepared to go and do three years of pure learning I'm going to try and learn as much as I can rather than just consider doing the job as in like it's kind of you've already got it kind of thing because also you can then learn so much by all the actors that you work with who then went to drama school and talk about what it means when you action align or they do different sort of warm-up techniques and and also when there is becomes any sort of when you start 
feeling confident in wanting to try and forge your own sort of direction within the work that you do. Make it, it's kind of geared towards the things that particularly you wanted to learn for drama school. So like a huge part of going to drama school was that I I couldn't get seen for much theatre and because you need the voice training. And, you know, and so I was really kind of, really wanted to do plays after that. And I've I've not done many, but a, a few plays that I've done have taught me so much about, which have been so relevant for, you know, 1917, I couldn't have done without, without uh, doing theatre because it kind of has that, that level of pragmatism of like, it's the same sort of pressure. You know, you go out and you have to go start to finish without stopping. And if you do stop, you've got to find a way to carry on within the character or, you know, or learn, learn, kind of understanding the rhythm of something over two hours rather than just a two minute take. And that, you know, so all of those experiences, um, you know, have been facilitated by theatre. So to go back to your question, it was just a very positive thing of like, right, well, I tried out for learning and I didn't get into there. So I'm going to try and learn via the opportunities that I'm lucky enough to get and, and just kind of go with that. Andy J Podcast. I told you they were good, didn't I? My goodness, didn't Suzanne tell the most incredible story? And what a woman. I can only recommend following her on social media. She is incredible. I would say follow George McKay, but he doesn't have social media, but a really, really cool guy. I really enjoyed his company. And I've exchanged some uh, text messages and whatnot um, with him since the interview. He's just a really lovely man. Very humble, very friendly, very open. Really enjoyed his company. And of course, of course, you're following Ronan Keating on social media. He's Ronan Keating. He's great. He's loads of fun. So look, thank you for your company this week. Um, Please do, if you'd be kind enough, like and subscribe. Tell your friends, share a kind and uplifting review if you'd be nice enough to do that. We really appreciate it. I hope you are having a decent time. I know it's very strange right now, but I hope you are finding some reasons to smile, some reasons to laugh and some reasons to keep on keeping on. We'll be back with more Big Stars next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.